Keep singing here in just a sec. All right, let's keep singing, guys. One, two, three. 
together. Um, it's awesome uh, to be able to worship God with you guys in this beautiful space here in the Botanic Gardens. I want to welcome you to the South Bay Church. If uh, you're new, this is your first time here, we're really grateful that you're here and uh, we'd love to get to know you better. Uh, we love the Word of God and uh, we are doing a series right now uh, on the book of Ephesians, which is a letter 
that Paul, who was an early leader in the church, uh, one of the most significant leaders in the early church, uh, wrote to these disciples in the first century who were living in the city of Ephesus. And uh, this is our third week, so we're going to be doing Ephesians 3. Logical, right? Makes sense. So Elaine uh, Johnson is going to be reading Ephesians 3 for us here in just a minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, spaced repetition is good. Uh, just to, we, we really want you to get a lot out of, of our time here, uh, knowing more, knowing your Bible better, knowing more um, how to read your Bible on your own and how to dig deep, deeply and drink deeply of the Word. And uh, so the first week, two weeks ago, uh, kind of gave you may, maybe more information than you wanted on Ephesians and uh, kind of how it ties into Colossians and the book of Philemon as I, as I see it and kind of when it was written, who it was written to. And we looked at Acts 19 and Acts 20, and uh, that's where you have the background for that church there in Ephesus and kind of how that church was formed. And Apollos was a significant person in that uh, early church in Ephesus. And we just kind of get a little background there. And, uh, and, then, and then last week we touched on it just a little bit, kind of reminder. So today we're going to watch a video. It's actually nine minutes long, so kind of settle in for a minute. But this is an overview of the book of Ephesians by uh, a, group of, uh, a group called The Bible Project. They do a really great job with videos giving you background. And so if you're ever going to read a book of the Bible, I would recommend uh, looking on YouTube and look up The Bible Project and then type in whatever that book is you're about to read. And in this case, it's the book of Ephesians. So we're going to watch this video. And then uh, after that, Elaine's going to come up and read Ephesians 3 for us. And we'll really dig into Ephesians 3 a little bit more. So I'm going to turn it over to the video. Let's give that our attention and uh, learn more about Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says, that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose 
became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now in chapter two, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter one, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed. The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter three to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter four with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one. And one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus' new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up 
the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity, in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's followers, we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus' body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. Amen. So, uh, as I mentioned, we, as the lights are coming back on here, we are doing, uh, the series is called Rooted, which is appropriate here for uh, Botanic Gardens, and uh, uh, we're talking about what, how the gospel message affects our lives, and so as he mentioned, chapter 1, 2, and 3 are really about what God has done, and who God is, and what our identity is in Christ, um, and it's really, a, if, for those of us who are Followers of Jesus, for those of us who are disciples, it's a reminder of what God has done and, and who our identity is in Jesus. For those of us who are not yet Christians or if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, it's really, you should view it as, wow, this is what I could 
have. This is who I could be in Christ if I respond to his grace. And, uh, and it's really a beacon call, I hope, that, that this is, it's so amazing to be in Jesus. So the first week we talked about, the, the title of the lesson was, Know How Good You Have It. Just, it is so amazing what God has done in Jesus and through his grace. And last week was the meaning of life, that God sets us up to have our needs met. Every person on earth has a desire for both security and significance, or relationships and meaningful work. And God gives us both in his purpose and his plan. God saves us by his grace, but he also gives us good work to do. He, puts, he plans that in advance, Ephesians 2 says. And so uh, the call is to, to understand that grace and, and, and be filled up by that grace, but then have that grace have effect in our life and what we do. And so today we're finishing out that first half that the, the video talked about of who we are in Christ. Filled all the way up is the title of the lesson today. So you can keep that in mind as we uh, look at Ephesians 3. If you turn over there with me, and uh, Elaine's going to read this for us. This is Ephesians 3 from the Message Bible. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus showing his joy. My clicker's not working. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I have written to you, you you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about, even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we are free to say whatever needs to be said and bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breath. 
test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request, even in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Amen. Great job, Elaine. Elaine has a very pleasant voice. And uh, since the United States kind of started in Boston, that's the original American accent, right? The... <laughs> I love it. She doesn't have the harsh Boston accent, like park the car. You know, she has the, the nice. I mean, it's all nice, but I'm going to offend somebody. Um, so Ephesians 3, uh, we get to, to hear a little bit more of uh, who we are in Christ. And then Paul shares a little bit about himself and how he views himself here. And uh, the title of the lesson is Filled All the Way Up. Number one, being full of purpose, being full of purpose. And uh, I want to kind of explain a little bit what he's saying here about this mystery. He says, Paul, when he's talking about himself, he says, I have a purpose. I have a calling. And uh, I have a specific role in the kingdom of God. And that is, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then again, in, uh, a little bit later, he says, uh, in verse 6, uh, let's see. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise in Christ. And then again in verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So Paul had this role that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, Gentiles uh, is everybody that's not a Jew. So it, for, from the Jewish mindset, Paul was a Jew. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it's the other, it's everyone else. There's, there's God's covenant people and then there's everyone else. And Paul said, that was my mission to present to the gospel of the Gentiles. And this was a mystery, he says in verse, uh, verse three, that the mystery made known to me by revelation. Uh, he describes the, the, the Gentile mission as a mystery that was kept hidden, but now revealed. What does that mean? That, that there was this this, this wisdom that was hidden, that, that now, even now the angels are discovering this wisdom, or even now we are understanding this wisdom, but, but the prophets, the, the ancients didn't understand or didn't view this. And he, he talks about it being not known, but then made known, this hidden mystery. And I want to kind of explain how that works. Uh, in Colorado, where I'm from, uh, you drive up I-70 to get to the mountains, and Dessa grew up in the mountains in a, in a town called Evergreen. And uh, this is a, the... the the, the mountain pass, this is I-70 going up to that area, up to Evergreen. And this is what, what Dust has always said is her favorite view. This is her view of going home to Evergreen. Uh, and especially at certain times of the day, the mountains form these kind of plains. And doesn't it look like someone just, just uh, put different, you know, uh, it's just like they almost look two-dimensional, right? Just one mountain plain after another after another. And, 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 and it's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. But you don't know you have no sense of depth. You have no sense of how far is that mountain plain, how far is that mountain from the one in front of it. Does that make sense? You just, you kind of see it all, and it's beautiful. And that's the way that the prophets uh, of the Old Testament looked at uh, the future coming of, of the Messiah. 
the future coming of Christ and, and the, the day of the Lord and all of these things that are prophesied in the Old Testament times. God, God chose the covenant people. He gave them his law. He, 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 he said, now through you, the entire world will be blessed because through you, the Messiah will come and all nations will be brought together. All nations will come to Jerusalem. All nations will have the law. All nations will have the opportunity to be a part of my covenant family. And so they understood these promises, but they didn't really understand the timing. And they had no idea of, about this, what's known as the hidden valley in between uh, the, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We have no idea when he's coming back. Whoever made this diagram put about 2,000 years. That's how long it's been to our point that we're in now. So if Jesus comes back right now, that would be, this would be accurate. I mean, it might be another 1,000 years. We don't know. And the Bible says, uh, even in the time of, of the early church, some of the brothers and sisters were going, well, when, when is this coming that he promised? I mean, and, and people were going, maybe it's not even true because Jesus hasn't come back again like he said he would. And, and the, the writer of, uh, to the, to, uh, Peter wrote the, this letter to uh, disciples then, and he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It's just that he's patient, and he wants as many people as possible to be saved. And, and the writer, uh, Peter, the writer, says, it, it's not that, that he's slow. To, to God, a thousand years is just like a day, like a one day that's gone by a thousand years. So, so since Jesus came right here, the first coming of Christ, until he comes again, it's only been two days in God's timing. Does that make sense? So we don't really know, we don't really understand, but, but this was hidden from, this was hidden, I love this diagram, the giant eye. This was hidden from God's people. They just saw these two mountain peaks. So they know the Messiah is coming, but they didn't see this unseen valley. And that's what Paul's talking about. He talks about the mystery that was kept hidden, but now is revealed. And, and, and the, and the the mystery is that this church age would involve the Gentiles. This would be God's, God's message going out to all people and all nations. We're still living in that period. We're still a part of that mystery that Paul was talking about. Does that make sense? So what that did for Paul is it motivated him. It made him full of purpose because he saw, I am a part of something that is bigger than me. It's cosmic. It's glorious, and you just see him overflowing in the language of this chapter with how amazing this is, how incredible God is. I'm the worst of everybody, but I got to do this. You see that from Paul and, and how excited he was. And Paul had a very uh, unique uh, calling, a very unique uh, past and history that made him so perfect for this role of being the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, he grew up in, in uh, Tarsus, which was a... a, a kind of a cosmopolitan area. It was a, it was a crossroads. And so it was a mix of, of Romans and Roman culture and Greek culture, but also Jewish heritage that he grew up in. So he kind of had both worlds really down. Like he, when you read the book of Acts, you see Paul really understood the Roman world. He really understood Greek culture. He really understood the way that the Roman government worked. And he, he, he was, he was well-suited to interact with the Roman society who had control of everything at that time. But he also was an amazing student of Judaism and of the Torah. And he memorized the Old Testament. And he, he was trained by Gamaliel, who was the best of the best of Jewish instructors. So even though he was from up in Tarsus, he came down to Jerusalem and was, was trained. So he was said, I was as good as anybody in terms of following the law and in terms of my edu Jewish education. But he says, I consider all that rubbish compared to knowing Christ. But because of that, because there, there came tension in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. 
And there were some that said, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you also have to be a Jew, and you also have to follow the law perfectly, and you have to, you have to be circumcised and follow all of these rules to be a Jew if you also want, want to be a Christian. But Paul was uniquely qualified to be able to tell these, uh, his hearers, no, 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 here is the way that the law should be interpreted. It's fulfilled in Christ. And having lived an almost flawless life as a Jew, he was able to have the authority to say, I can speak on this with authority. So he could, he could operate just as well in both worlds, the Gentile world and the Jewish world. So he was so perfectly qualified for this purpose. And I mention that because he, he's going to say as we get into Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, the practical part of the book, he's going to say that uh, each of us has a calling. Each of us has a purpose. God has uniquely qualified each one of us to do some kind of work to build up the church. He describes this body that is built up as each part does its work. And so God is calling you. He's calling you to the purpose that we all have of making disciples and of building God's kingdom, but also the specific roles in that kingdom. You know, God has uniquely qualified you in some way. You have, and, and how, do you, how do I know that? You go, how do I know what my, my calling is? How do I know what my, my purpose is? Uh, you know, I think God will make that clear to you. Each one of you, you has a unique past, a unique history, unique sets of skills, unique uh, ways that, that, that God has qualified you and, and, and your background and your history. We, we just uh, came from a, a week spent with all these campers up at Idlewild uh, Youth Camp this whole last week. I feel a little kind of out of it because I left here, drove straight up there, and then was there all week with the camp, and, you know, it was an awesome time. And then I got back about 8 last night, and then now I'm here again. So I'm kind of like, what's going on? I, haven't, I feel like I haven't even been home yet. And uh, you might hear my voice. I'm a little congested and a little, you know, a little faded from the week. But it was an incredible time with, with the campers. And the theme this week was dream. So a lot of it was about these kids dreaming about what does God want my life to be? And it's so cool to see their, uh, their, their, their you know, imagination of what God could do in their life. And um, one of the, the lessons I gave was on Moses and how God used Moses to call out all of his people out of Egypt in slavery and to form a new nation and this incredible, incredible calling, incredible purpose. But God didn't do it in the way Moses expected. He tried to do something early. You know, when he became an adult, he tried to, to make a difference to stop the oppression and it didn't work out. And so he went on the run for 40 years and then God called him. And when God called him, you know, he made a lot of excuses at first. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, he kind of had gotten set in his ways. But God had this unique purpose and a unique calling for Moses. So it can come at any age. You know, don't, if you're an older person, don't feel like, oh, well, uh, he's talking to the younger people. No, I'm talking to you. You are uniquely qualified to do something in God's kingdom, uh, just as, as Moses was at, at, at his age. And uh, uh, what... what after that lesson that I gave, uh, Pat Hachia, we had several of our, of our members go up there and serve the, the kids. And from, from here, Joe was there, and Mark was there. Mark's going to share in a little bit. And uh, from the, the South Bay North group, uh, several went. But Pat Hachia went. It was her first time being there. And I want to read you what she said about uh, this idea of being full of purpose. She said, great message last night. It was fantastic. You talked about people having other dreams besides going into the ministry. As someone who never went into the full-time ministry, I used to feel, quote, less than because I did not go into the ministry. But I love what I do, and I'm grateful for the career God has given me as a city planner and the specific things I'm doing to serve people through my job. I, I love that because, yeah, I, when I talk about purpose and calling, I'm not just call, talking about being a minister. 
uh, or being a worship leader. I mean, th there's all kinds of ways to serve God wherever you are. And, uh, and you have been called, and in your specific context, you've been sent there. You know, if you think about your job or your school or your neighborhood, you know, who has God sent you to? Uh, and what is God's purpose for you in that situation? I, and my prayer is that you could be full of purpose, just like Paul was full of purpose. Uh, secondly, full of prayer. Uh, Paul's prayer here and, uh, in verse 14, after he described the Gentile ministry and how excited he was to be a part of it and a part of God's plan and his role in it, he says in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants them to be filled all the way up. Paul says, I'm praying, I'm praying so much for you, Ephesians, that you would have power from the Holy Spirit, that you would, it would strengthen you in your inner being, that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Why? Why do I want this to happen? So that you can be filled all the way up, that you can be completely all God wants you to be. Um, you know, he, he, he says, I, I want you to, to be strengthened by God's power. I want you to be saturated with God's presence, and I want you to be surrounded by God's love. He says, now you've been rooted, you've been established, you've got, you, 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 we, we began a good work there in Ephesus. You've been rooted, but now it's that you grow and you gain all the fullness of God, that you get filled all the way up by God's, uh, God's presence. And so I, I, I call this full, being full of prayer because this is Paul's prayer for us, but as I was thinking, you know, this is something I need. I, I need more of God. I need, uh, I need to know his love better. He says, what I want for you is to grasp and to know this love. You, you got the root, but I want you to grasp God's love. I want you to know God's love. How are you going to know God's love better? How are you going to know God's love better? How are you going to grasp his love? I think you've got to spend time with him. Isn't that how you know someone's love is through spending time with them? I know that's kind of uh, obvious, but but, it, it, you know, as I was meditating on this, how can I grasp? How can I know? I thought, well, I've got to spend more time with God. And so I made a decision that I'm going to uh, spend at least an hour every day this week uh, in un uninterrupted time with God, uninterrupted prayer time, just, just listening to him, calling on him, talking to him, maybe walking uh, along a nature trail with him or something. But I, I really want to spend some devoted time to him. And I want to give you that challenge to, to, to pick, pick some... Uh, something that's, that's challenging for you or that kind of will push you a little bit to get to know God better and make a decision. I'm going to spend a good chunk of time every day with God. The first thing I do or, or maybe on my lunch break or whatever it is, but maybe it's a half an hour, maybe it's 45 minutes or, or whatever it is for you, but spend some focused time. How much time does it take to get filled all the way up? You know, it, it, it takes time. You can't just be instantly filled all the way up. It takes time with God. And, and when you get filled up with God and his presence and his power and his love, Paul's saying that's what allows you to be able to do that work that he's called you to, to, to fulfill that purpose he's called you to, because you're so solid in your understanding of his love and understanding of his grace that it's motivating. 
and, and, it, and it gives you a, a foundation that you can launch from to do whatever he's calling you to do. Uh, last week, I, I, I kind of ran out of time, and I mentioned I would talk about the Golden Gate Bridge a little bit. And uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, in Ephesians 2 that we looked at last week, Paul says, you've been saved by grace to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, I think, is a good analogy of how grace and works uh, kind of fit together. During the building of the Golden Gate Bridge over San Francisco Bay, construction fell, fell badly behind schedule because several workers had accidentally fallen from the scaffolding to their deaths. I would say so. You know, you're working there and your friend dies and falls to his death. That would be a little demotivating. Engineers and administrators could find no solution to the costly delays. Finally, someone suggested a gigantic net be hung under the bridge to catch any that fell. Finally, in spite of the enormous cost, the engineers opted for the net. After it was installed, a worker fell but was saved by the net. Soon the work proceeded even ahead of schedule because the net gave the workers the security they needed to concentrate on their work. So, so understanding grace better, knowing our identity in Christ better, it, it frees us up. Because we're not so worried about failure. We're not so worried about, does God love me? Does he not love me? Because uh, it's like that net, that safety net that caught these workers. And then that allowed them to, to even work more efficiently or, or be at peace because they knew that security net was there. That's how God's grace and his love works in our lives and strengthens us. And Paul says through this, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I want you to think for a minute, what do you imagine God could do in your life? What do you imagine God could do in your family? What do you imagine God could do in your workplace? What do you imagine God could do in your, in your school or in your future? And Paul, he's just gushing with how amazing God is. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than that, than even what we can imagine. And so it's just a matter of entrusting ourselves to him and being filled all the way up in him. Being filled all the way up. Amen? As I thought about that idea of being filled all the way up, uh, you know, because I was at youth camp all week, the immediate metaphor that came to my mind was filling a water balloon. <laughs> because youth camp is all about water wars. Uh, these kids, uh, it's ages 5th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade. And uh, kind of, the, we have this big epic battle every year on Thursday. And so everything leading up to Thursday is the kids just uh, giving the, the staff a hard time because it's the staff of the camp of which I was on the staff against the kids and the counselors. And uh, there's been times it was like 30 people against 300 people. Um, this year, I would guess it was maybe like 150, 200 against probably about 30. And um, it's an epic battle. But I wanted to show you a... Uh, this video that we showed at camp, this was new this year, about the proper use of water balloons. And one of the, the, the things in here is, is being, make, sure, make sure you're filled all the way up, number one, and, and that you're filled up with the right thing, number two. So that's the spiritual application uh, for this video. And then we're going to kind of wrap things up. Hey kids, filling up water balloons? Well before you go terrorize the camp with that high quality H2O, let's make sure you know proper etiquette to water war safely and efficiently. 
The first important thing you must know is how to fill a water balloon to the proper size. A water balloon must be filled so it sits nicely in the palm of your hand. Mmm, that feels good. And it must be able to pop nicely upon contact. Too small and the water balloon will not pop, creating what is affectionately known as a stinger and leaving a loving welt on an overjoyed recipient. Ouch, feels like anger. But if an adult throws a water balloon, it may hurt, even if it's not a stinger. Remember, if it pops, it's not a stinger, but it can still sting. Nah-uh-uh, little Jimmy. You must only fill up water balloons with water from designated fill-up stations. You are not permitted to use foreign contents such as hot water, soda, juice, or shaving cream. Ha <laughs> menthol. You are also never allowed to fill up from coolers designated for drinking, or we will find you. If your bloodlust leads you to an unarmed civilian, first be polite. Ask if this person intends to engage in hydro combat, and respectfully walk away if they decline. What a gentleman. Should the chaos lead you to a cabin, the amphitheater, or any indoor facilities, think twice. If you're caught hydrating the indoors, the penalty is death by water execution. You will be set outside a cabin while your loving comrades eviscerate you aquatically, lest you ever make this mistake again. Whoa there, sport. You forgot the most important rule of camp. Never ever shoot a staff member wearing a radio, even if they shoot you first. I know, it's not fair, but neither is life and suffering builds character. You will have plenty of opportunities during the week and in the big battle on Thursday to quench your thirst for justice. If you follow these simple steps, we ensure a pleasant, safe, and fulfilling water war experience. And remember kids, the staff always wins. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a really, really fun week. But, uh, but spiritually, uh, the idea is that we be filled all the way up and be filled with the right thing, that we be filled with the love of Christ. There's nothing else that can satisfy you. There's nothing else that can uh, really meet your needs the way God, the creator, has designed you to, be, uh, to, to have those needs be met and to, to blossom and flourish and, and grow and, and from the root and then uh, expanding out into a, a flourishing life. That's how God made us to be, and it requires being filled up by the love of Christ. Um, before we take communion, uh, we want to introduce a special sister who is being restored to the faith today. Um, uh, you know, we, we, ha we all have these different life stories and we go through different things and there's times where we drift and times where we're restored to Christ and we're really excited to, to be able to, to introduce to you all uh, officially. I know you've been getting to know her over the last months, but uh, Christine Fido and uh, Dessa and the girls are going to come introduce her right now and then uh, we will uh, I'll pray for communion after that. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ just to do good works, uh, Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Um, so I'm going to let um, Victoria share a little bit about Christine, but um, I'm really proud of her, and um, she just I feel like she just has a new piece about her. So. 
everyone. I'm Victoria, for those who don't know me. Victoria Misa. Can you hear? Seely's wife, of course. <laughs> everyone knows me as Seely's wife, but I'm Victoria. So I'm really excited to introduce Christine. Um, I had the pleasure of doing the restoration studies with her. And I'm just excited. Um, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm just excited to see what God has planned for Christine and her family. And um, I gained a friend and now a sister in Christ. I love her. She has the best heart, the biggest heart, her and her family. So I'm really excited. I love you. Um, hi, I'm, I'm Christine Vito. Um, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to be back. And that's the main thing I want to say. I'm so thankful and grateful for those amazing women who took the time out to study with me and to show me just what it was, what, to help me remember, you know, the promise that I made to God. And, and I'm so thankful that um, even though I turned my back on God, he never turned his back on me, you know. And, and he was always there, always present, you know, always waiting for me to come back. And I'm just... I'm so happy that I'm home and that, you know, I'm just, that I'm here. Thank you. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray for communion and uh, enjoy a time of remembering what God has done for us. And just as God has, has really blessed Christine. God, thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, thank you for how your grace is most uh, most reflected in Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Thank you for his body and his blood given for us and for this time of remembrance uh, as we take the bread which represents his body and the the juice which represents his blood. I pray that you'd bless this time of meditation and remembrance and uh, rededication of our own hearts to you and uh, because of of your amazing, amazing love and your amazing grace, I pray that it would uh, reach every heart here today. Uh, Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
short people. All right, well, um, we're gonna transition now to the time in our service when we take up a contribution for the needs of the church. And um, if you're a guest to our church, don't feel compelled to give. This is something our members do every week. Of course, we're grateful if you do, but uh, don't feel obligated. And also don't be alarmed if the baskets are largely empty because most of us give uh, our contribution online. Um, as Brian mentioned, Joe Lee and I just returned from a week at youth camp in the mountains of Idlewild. And I stand before you very tired, <laughs> as Brian is, uh, but also ex very happy, very fulfilled. Yeah. And I had the joy of uh, shepherding a cabin of five eighth grade boys. And I'll tell you that it really was a joy. Um, and, and we spent a lot of time having fun. Uh, a lot of time uh, staying up late, <laughs> very late, and uh, dreaming, learning about Jesus, having quiet times early in the morning together, uh, praying, talking about life, and I formed a bond with these kids that's going to last many, many years um, to come, which is amazing. It's the second time that I had, <clears throat> had served as a counselor, and I have to say that, that going to this camp helps me more spiritually, I think, than it helps kids. It really does. So if you ever have a chance to serve, I highly recommend it. But as I think about the camp experience, uh, I really uh, was, was praying about this. And I think what God has put on my heart is the importance of stewardship. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute as, as it pertains to our finances, but also stewardship in regards to everything in our life. If you open your Bibles, please. Uh, to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 10. Luke 16, starting in verse 10. Jesus explains here how we should think about God's gifts. And starting in verse 10, Jesus says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what I noticed as I read this, we've all read this many times, but as I read this, I, I, I just jumped out at me that Jesus says we are entrusted with someone else's property. Yeah. Everything, everything we have belongs to God. Everything. He has simply entrusted it, it to us. And, and he's testing us. He is testing you to see if you're trustworthy with what he has given you in his possessions. And that obviously includes the money that God's given you, but as I think about camp this last, last week, it extends to everything. And, and it really brought home for me this week that we are temporary stewards of the children yeah. that God has given us. Each young person is a masterpiece of God. Right. And we've been talking to the kids this week about having, as Brian said, great dreams for your life. And whatever you can dream, as crazy as it may be, God has immeasurably greater dreams for you. And, and he entrusts these precious creations to us, these children, for, for just a few short years, you know, to protect them and to teach them and to prepare them to go out into the world to be his instruments. And parents are working very hard at that. 
But it's just not the parents who are entrusted with the youth. I mean, God puts us in this church family because we all have a role to play in the stewardship of God's youth. And, and for the adults here, God has given each of you, he's given each of you something that you can share with the young people that we have in our family. And believe me, the young people need you to be engaged in their lives. It was so clear to me this week, I mean, when, when you really show these kids that you love them and you care, genuinely care, you know, they begin to share with you what's really going on in their lives. And as I just think about the progress and just the incredible growth I saw in just the five days with these, these, these eighth grade boys that I had, I mean, some of the things they shared with me going on, th things they're, they're dealing with. One of the kids said, hey, you know, my parents are separated and I just miss my dad. Another one said, you know, my parents just won't listen to me. They're not listening to me. I need help. Can you give me some advice? He had the humility to say, can you give me some advice on how I can get through to them? Another kid said, I'm getting bullied at school. I'm getting bullied, and I'm, they're calling me names, and I'm angry, and I'm hurt. Another said, you know, I moved about a year ago, and I don't have any friends, and I'm lonely. And, and another positive one I was very excited about, one said, yeah, I think I'm ready to study the Bible. I want to be a disciple. Can you help me set that up? And I said, yes, I can help you with that. <laughs> so we're stewards, you know. I mean, our children need our love. They need our guidance. And God's entrusted us with his treasured possessions. He's entrusted us. And he's testing us to see if we are trustworthy with what he's given us. And that principle obviously extends to money. Contrary to the attitude of, of our society today, the money that you have is not yours. Right. It's not yours. You may think you deserve it because of your superior wisdom and skill <laughs> that God gave you, but he only asks you, the only thing he asks you to do with his money is to give back the first fruits to him. Right. And so as Jesus said, our father is watching to see if you are trustworthy. And if you can be trusted with the gifts of God's here on earth, if you can be trusted with those gifts, one day you'll be entrusted with true riches in heaven. Let's pray for our contribution. Father, we are grateful. We don't know why you entrust us <laughs> with what you have, God, but you do. And, uh, Father, we know that you want us to be trustworthy. You want to entrust us with more. And, and, and Father, I just, uh, I just pray that we can be the stewards that we are called to be, that we can remember that everything is yours, our money, our kids, everything that we have is yours. And so I pray that we give generously uh, back the first fruits of what you've given us and that you'll use that money to advance your gospel, advance the message of Jesus to the world around us. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just have a few announcements for us as we uh, are taking up our offering, and then we'll close with a final song. So if you're new to this group or if you're visiting with us, as I mentioned earlier, we're really grateful that you're here. I hope you come back, and uh, we'd love to get to know you better. But um, we've got to kind of explain what we're doing. This is a new church here in this space, and so we uh, branched out from a group called South Bay Church. We were meeting up at Miracosta High School in Manhattan Beach and uh, just decided God was calling us to 
to geographically kind of uh, launch in two directions to try to better meet people's needs and actually allow more people to serve and stuff like that. So there's another uh, South Bay church that meets in El, uh, El Segundo, and we meet here three times a week. But everybody didn't want to miss their friends, so we said, okay, well, we'll still come together once a month. So for the rest of this year, what we're doing is we meet three times a year here. I mean, three times a month here. Not three times a year. That, that wouldn't be very much. Three times a month, and then we go back up to Miracosta or, or together with all South Bay. Does that make sense? So this next month, uh, week, sorry, I'm, I'm a, I've been at youth camp all week, guys. You've got to be patient with me. Uh, this next Sunday is our South Bay Church service, all South Bay. So we'll be up at Miracosta High School. There won't be a service here. We'd love for you to come up there to Miracosta. Uh, if you are from this community, from this area, and you go, wow, that's a long ways away. Sunday morning, it's not bad at all. There's nobody on the road. So you get there in like 10, 15 minutes. It's a pretty short drive. Uh, and it's at 1030, not 10, uh, because that's what time those services are. So 1030, uh, Miracosta High School next Sunday. And then the following, like the end of August, our next South Bay Church service, I'll tell you now, we're going to be doing an evening service at Seaside Lagoon. That's an annual event that we do. So, uh, and this is all on your app and, uh, and on our website and that kind of thing. But next week is Miracosta, then three more weeks here, then we'll be at Seaside Lagoon. So that's kind of what you can look forward to with our Sundays coming up. Uh, finally, uh, we have some prayer requests. Uh, Kike, I believe, is... Uh, Something's going on with Kike. I didn't quite hear, but she's uh, had to go to the ER or something. Okay, high blood pressure. So let's be praying for Kike. I'll say a prayer for here. I'll, her, as well as Patricia Merrill, is uh, recovering from surgery, so we'll pray for Patricia. And, uh, and then also we have some guests here from Dallas. I want to say hi to you guys. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Hello. The Ubanis, the Ubani family. So make sure you meet the Ubanis. Great to have you guys. Uh, so let's, uh, let's uh, have a prayer for, for those needs, and then uh, we'll have a final song. We'll stand after the prayer. God, uh, we want to ask for you to bring healing to Patricia and uh, that she be fully restored uh, to full health. And I pray for Kike as well, that she would be, uh, that you'd restore her uh, health as well, that you would um, heal her, whatever's going on with her. Thank you for their new baby. And uh, just pray you'd bless their family. Pray for others who are suffering from illness or who are, who are recovering from cancer and different surgeries that uh, we have among us. Uh, and I pray that you would bring full healing and full restoration and allow us to, to use you, uh, use our bodies to serve you in the way that you call us to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for a final song.